<laughs> so it's my extreme privilege to welcome Chris Hegedus and D.A. Pennybaker. I don't know, you know, when you think of all the years people have been using drugs, you'd think there'd be some music about it. Yeah. And that's the only song that works about drugs for me. The only one that you care about. Which, 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 which song about drugs? Never Let Me Down. Never Let Me Never Down. Me down. Yeah. I'm my best friend. <laughs> right. No, it, it's, it's such a... Well, Here you go. I, I don't know. There's something about that film. Oh. It's the best film I think I've ever been involved with. Hmm. And the, everybody with me, we, everybody was... I mean, Chris was shooting. I was, everybody was shooting a camera, practically, because we got so involved with them, and they were so welcoming. Mm. I mean, the, uh, uh, the only thing that worried me when I was on stage with, with, with David was that it had been raining, and the, and the stage was slippery. Mm. And I thought, Shit, if I fall with this camera, <laughs> that would really be a drag. <laughs> that would really bother a lot of people. And, uh, and I, so I was careful, but they didn't care if we got on stage with them or not. Well, it's they clear just, you're and, so. And you know, there. when they said they told Warner Brothers, I think it was producing the thing. They told Warner Brothers they were going to do a a, a co concert at the Rose Bowl. Warner Brothers, said, oh, you can't do that. And they said, fuck you, and and did it. And it was, of course, you saw what it was like. I mean, that was. I never saw it turn out like that for a concert in my life. It was just fantastic. But being a cinematography series here, I do have to apologize because this is a film and maybe this is kind of apropos for cinematography and film and the problems of it, is this film you know, needs to be restored and it was not in any version that we could show here because you know, it was shot in 16, it was blown up to 35, there was no 35 print. We occasionally have shown kind of a digibeta that was made from it, but they couldn't show that so they made some file and then some new D DCP, which is what they project in theaters now. So I have to say, it really looks bad. And also, <laughs> you know, it's a problem too through the years, like the soundtrack 5.1, you can't project it in theaters anymore. I mean, the whole thing really needs to be done again. But thank you for your patience well, in watching it's this gotta version. It's got to be but I'll tell you, it's still there. The sure, yeah. film yeah. is still it's there. It's still the band's music it in the movie. It just kills me to watch it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's painful for me, but thank you. Well, um, there's a scene in Don't Look Back, um, a short one, but a memorable one, where we're with fans outside of Bob Dylan's hotel room. Oh, yeah, waiting to get in. The, waiting uh, to get in. Yeah. And it's, it's such a significant but short scene um, that I've always wondered or always thought that maybe the seeds of this film were captured in that moment because until this movie, don't think I've ever seen a film that takes, it's, it's not just taking seriously the, the life of the fans, but it's 50% of the film is the experience of the fan, fans on tour. Well, well, well they that, were our family. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we, that was what was really interesting in about this band <laughs> was that they had 
you know, this amazing fan base. And the fans, you know, when they talk about fashion and, you know, they, they had their whole look when you would go to this concert. They would all be wearing black. They would just, you know, they, they had a look right. and a way. And it was, you know, for me, it was very striking because we didn't know who Depeche Mode were when we started this project, oh. you know, and all of their songs <laughs> no, sounded did. exactly the same, which for me now is very hard to think. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, what happens sometimes and but they were a very young band in terms of their yes fan base. they were a very very young band but the thing that was interesting coming from more of the 60s generation which everybody was kind of in their individual world and space when they were watching you know the music and you can see it in monterey pop too and mm -hmm. everybody has their own style i mean this band and its audience had this kind of relationship, you know, where they were so in tune with each other. And, you know, the audience was a, a mass. And, you know, in some ways, you know, Music for the Masses was the name of this concert. And it was like a mass. I mean, they, they you know, had their own lang hand language. They had their whole waving signs. I mean, mm -hmm. it, was, it was quite incredible to see. And, you know, now it's commonplace. But at that point, yeah. it was this alternative to kind of rock and roll and playing with bands and you know they you know forged their own way with synthesizers and this this whole other type of music mm -hmm. I, I thought when i was watching it uh i thought that this their music is probably the best music you could have for a stage per performance mm. because it doesn't it didn't involve it doesn't take you any other place it isn't like popular tunes which you know have a little stories in them it just had this re repeated chord change that kind of suited the way uh, I forget it. What was the girl from that did the lights, who, oh, yeah. who would play those lights just like a piano? Mm -hmm. it was, everything about it was as if somebody had designed it with all the best ideas in mind. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was funny because at the time, people didn't really take the music seriously at all. They thought it was like goofy music and, and, and at first I couldn't remember one song from the next but I'll tell you by the end of this tour I was absolutely a fan I just thought their music was fan and still do when I hear one of their songs I recognize it right away because there's something about there's something about it that finally when it gets to you it's like Wagner or something it really gets to you I mean I think one thing that was interesting too was that they're very kind of, um, you know, self-made band. And like Andy, who doesn't really play his instrument, I don't even think they turn it on or his mic on because he can't sing, but he's like their best friend and, and he keeps the band together. And he, you know, he totally admits it. <laughs> and, um, you know, they um, did what they wanted with Warner Brothers. Like Warner said, you can't show the money, you know. And they said, yeah, we're showing the money. We're showing the backstage. <laughs> right. we're, they were you know, outraged we're we showed the money. We're showing everything. And, <laughs> and I think that's kind of what bonded because we are a very small operation. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a lot of it was just Penny and I and David Dawkins pretty much kind of going out and following them around and, and filming well, them. Well, and Joel and Jeff. And then Joel and Jeff kind of went with the bus for most most of the time and mm -hmm. filmed them for us. And um, so I think it kind of, you know, grew, drew us together as friends. And we, we've stayed good friends with them as well. With, yeah. with the band. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so take us back to the moment of accepting to, to make this film about a band that you didn't know very well. But then, so that, that element of the fans being cast, that, that there's a scene in the film where they say, come to audition for a movie. But, but so then he called up, somebody said, uh, 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 somehow he got me on the phone. 
Okay. Uh, and uh, they said, would you want to make a film with Depeche Mode? Yeah. And I said, I, what's a Depeche Mode? I had no idea <laughs> who they were or anything. And they said, well, maybe, maybe you ought to hear them or something. So I went out to Oregon, I think it was Oregon, and listened to a concert, I went to a concert. And the thing that struck me was that everybody at that concert, that was the only band they would go to a concert of. Right. The rest of the year, they stayed home and read whatever they read. And that I thought, well, that's, that's kind of, uh, that has a quality of paganism that I really like uh, coming from my English stock, which is all painted their faces blue, you know, and lived in the woods. Uh, and I think that that, when we finally went with them, we were already kind of intrigued by what we didn't fully understand about them, so that mm -hmm. we were looking to find out what the hell they were doing and who they were. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, the bus kind of came out of, um, I mean, they're pretty simple lads in some ways, Depeche Mode. Um, you know, they're all from pretty, you know, lower middle class London, and they had a huge group of friends that came with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had to, in the beginning, you know, befriend them to even get to the band, even though kind of we, this was a job for us. It was from Warner's asked us to do this. And, um, um, you know, part of it is that because when bands are touring, it's, it's pretty much a boring life. Right. I mean, they're going from one city to the other city to the other city. And, you know, none of them, as much as I, I really adore them and think they're incredibly talented and I'm glad they've lasted um, through all this time. And I think they are one of the largest um, touring bands mm -hmm. of all bands, um, even though a lot of people probably don't even know them. Right. Um, but, you know, they don't have that spiritual ascendancy of Bob Dylan as a character sure. for a film. And, um, you know, the idea of a group of fans going across was going across and following them on a bus was something that came out of the beginning of us starting to follow them mm -hmm. as an idea that um, the management decided to do. To do that, yeah. And um, the band always calls them the stars of the film. Um. I mean, just for, for personal context, that entire crew of fans are basically from where I come from. Oh, really? <laughs> They'll look and sound and talk exactly like the people I grew up with. So yeah. it's quite something Working to see. Working class them. kids. Are you from Long Island? I'm from, I'm from Staten Island. Oh. Staten Island, New York. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so one thing in, in this series, we're looking at a lot of films where the cinematographer, and this often happens in documentary, the cinematographer is also the cameraman. And this is the case where you're filming, the two of you are filming, and I want to talk about each of you filming, but you're also, there are other Folks, but we don't total... have a director. See, that's what throws you off. <laughs> that nobody, none of us, tells anybody anything because we don't know what to tell them. Well, so I'm curious about that. Then, in, in terms of you following the band and, and two other camera people following the bus, are you communicating about what the footage they're getting and what you'd like them to get, or is that no, something that happens organically? Not really. Yeah, uh, we're like it's like it's like if you were filming a parade. Uh, you, you, what would you tell us to do? <laughs> I mean, uh, for you know, Joel and Jeff, we had worked with before, and um, uh, Joel is a woman actually, and Jeff is her boyfriend, and um, they very early on made what everybody has now, which is a single camera system, and um, they did it by having a 16 millimeter camera with a very small 
um, Nagra tape recorder that they had at the time kind of stuck to the camera and they film with wide angle and if you want to close up you just stand closer you want to watch out you move back <laughs> and um, you know we've worked like that and we kn knew that they did as well but they um, both shot and so that was the thing you know we we put them on the bus with mm -hmm. them and yes we did talk to them on the bus but we you know we knew that they would get into as much mischief with them <laughs> as they could and, uh, you know, and other than that, when we are on the road, we, you know, we do everything. I mean, I take sound, I do shooting, you know, we do whatever's needed and we edited the film as well. Right. And so in this case with these, I would imagine some of the, often it's the case with, uh, if, if on the stars, I, I, angle of this I would imagine there's an element of maybe not necessarily wanting you to see everything that they're doing or saying but with the young people I would imagine maybe it's the opposite is they're probably exhibitionists to some degree and you have to make hard choices about not showing mm -hmm. certain things is that not the case in terms of you mean with you like the kids it? on yeah, the bus with the kids, yeah um yeah I think they were pretty much open to anything <laughs> <laughs> which can be an issue if you're actually constructing a film um so the two of you are shooting how are how different are the two of you as shooters? Uh, what are your impulses in terms of how you film? Well, we, we have kind of roles when we shoot these type of concert films, whereas Penny is on stage, as you can see. We're <laughs> we filmed him there, and um, I usually am the front camera. Um, the front camera, yeah. Which is for for us, what was that mean? What would that I'm mean? I'm just standing, you know, I'm right at the stage, stage. filming him close up, and right. you know, following him, following, so the, following the main singer. Yeah. And we had another we, Nick Duba, I think, was shooting with us, wasn't he? He, he was the, the far camera. Yeah, he had the far camera. Yeah, he got the stage from a distance, which normally we don't really... You have to use your microphone. Oh, we, we don't... Uh, for us, uh, shooting a concert or performance, you always want to get, I think, as close as you can because that's what everybody... That's what the, where the seats are most expensive for good reason. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, with, with Monterey, I started wanting to just shoot faces uh, because... That's what you normally never see in, in movies of, uh, of concerts. So the idea of being close was a big aspect of that. And uh, I just got on stage and, and, and they sort of welcomed me. They, nobody seemed to care what we did. And that was a wonderful aspect of that whole film. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I see it today, having um, both my our sons um, filming concerts a lot now um, and being able to use all sorts of different toys, shall we say, um, with digital, being able to film concerts. Um, you know, it, it's so different than how we had to shoot at, at that point in 16 millimeter. You know, we didn't have a massive budget. So, um, you know, when we filmed at the Rose Bowl, the really big concert we filmed with, um, we just, you know, it's, it's kind of an excuse to, you know, hang out with our friends, basically, <laughs> which is why we like concert films. So um, Jim Desmond shot with us, and he also shot on Monterey with Penny. So he oh, wow. goes back as yeah. somebody who's worked with us a long time. And then um, David Dawkins shot with us and, mm -hmm. and Nick Dube. So it was really um, just, you know, Jim and I in the front and, and Penny and David on stage, and Nick was way back for the, the back shot. That's right. Most of the people who shoot with us they're not really cameramen officially. They're not professional cameramen. So they almost never shoot any other movies. Huh. So it's just when we get together, it's it's kind of like we've all learned how to do it in a way that most people haven't. We haven't been to film school or camera school. So we kind of like the way we each do it, but we don't. It's it's not. It would be hard for us to hire a professional cameraman and tell him what we wanted him to do. Right. So we don't do it. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, you get that feeling from it, I feel, that I'm not looking at things that have been, I'm not figured looking Figured out, yeah. Yeah, well, not figured out, but like, yeah, right, maybe not figured out, but also not, they're not being held onto too tightly yeah, in terms yeah. of we need to nail this shot. Yeah. It's about actually taking it in. Um, and and I, one of the things I love that, that associated with that is the fact that there's no um, stress to not include each other in shots. Like there's yeah, plenty of shots yeah. where you're showing up. And there's no sense of like we need to make sure that we don't see that. We, that you know, when we did, I think it was in in uh, uh, Tennessee that we shot the first time, and David started waving his arms, and a few people did it, but we had no idea that that was going to happen. Hmm. What happened there, and when it happened, I can remember I, it was so exciting for me at the time, and when I watched it just now, I felt that same. Hmm. The place is exploding, and we're. We're here. We're the only ones with cameras. <laughs> was that? I mean, you're usually not the one in standing in front of sixty thousand people like that. What was that like to be looked at next to him with the camera yeah, on the, stage? The, the, the what? What was it like to be looked at by sixty thousand people? You don't even think about that. <laughs> you just don't. It, it isn't. It isn't what you're thinking. Yeah. You're you're thinking. I don't want to slip and really fuck the whole thing up here. <laughs> But in that moment, it's interesting, too, because we actually now know that you were not holding it on your shoulder. Like, you're actually holding it low. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in, but in that shot in particular, which yeah, is, yeah. you don't even have the protection well, of the that's camera. That's right. I wanted, yeah. Well, you, you don't even think about what you're doing. I mean, you don't, you don't try to get memorable pictures or a, a, a look. You just want to be there. And with this damn incredible instrument that when you get home you can look at it and see what you saw did, did you watch footage along the way in terms of like looking no, at a certain concert not and, really no. no we wait till the end and then we just drive ourselves crazy watching day and night no i mean the, the editing was was a big job because we edited it on film mm -hmm. and you know had multiple cameras and it just was very hard to do. You had to have multiple steam bags, and I don't know. It's yeah. something that now I can't think of. Like, how did I ever do that? Because it's so much easier to do things on a computer mm -hmm. than it was in those days. But um, I mean, I think a lot of when we were shooting this and the way that we shot it was just to really get a feel of that music and the kind of circularity of the way that they toss the music from each other and it just kind of seems to spin around and um, you know that was really important to me during the editing. Mm -hmm. You also show there. I think some of my favorite sequences in the film are with those who are so, like around the production. You mean the Baron? The, what's He's the, a Baron. The guy who's the accountant is a Baron. He's a Baron. He's called the Baron. Yes, <laughs> and I I have serious arguments with him and I, uh, I, because he's very tight with money. <laughs> but I say, you know, that you can be, you can have a, all that money, but what do you show people? <laughs> you gotta have a film, yeah. right? Well, and then there's also the lighting technician, as you yeah. as you mentioned, and oh, she's fantastic. She's unbelievable. She came from from that island between here and Australia. What is it? New Zealand. New Zealand. She was. I loved her. She was terrific. Yeah. So does that happen organically over the course of the production that you realize, oh, I want to know what they do and I want to talk to them? Or is that something you thought, we when have you, to make a plan to talk to them? you watch those lights, you thought, somebody is doing this. This yeah. isn't this isn't come automatically with a bulb when you screw it in. <laughs> and uh, we went and found her, and she was up there in a little eyrie. She had like a nest up in the way in the back of the theater. 
And uh, we, we just spent a lot of time with her because she was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, the mechanics of how this was put on just was interesting to us because, as I said, a lot of people didn't know who Depeche Mode were, yeah. and they would come into a town and, you know, set up and be there one night and take out, you know, a million dollars out of the town, and it would just be this kind of like this bandit group of of this team of people, which you're pretty much seeing that's you right. Know, the, the main the, ones here. The parents of the kids who had gone would say, Depeche who? You know, <laughs> and of course, that was what made them kind of, I think, uh, interesting to people, that they, they were like bandits going through the country. Just, and, you know, the whole idea was so, it was like something you'd figure out in your kitchen one morning. They had a tape recorder and they put everything, the drums, everything was on the tape recorder because the the mother in the house where they wanted to rehearse couldn't stand the noise of the drums so they, they had to have their table and so there's only only th three of them making the music right three people are making all that racket it's fantastic and <laughs> and it's so simple and nobody cares yeah nobody says you know you're cheating with that tape recorder nobody cares mm -hmm. well right and i think at that time that was in terms of like rock fans that they were not oh, huge yeah. fans of Depeche Mode because of that but music has changed so much since then I know. that you look at it a little bit differently uh, certainly somebody who comes from growing up with rock music I'm, I'm not as critical of that as I was say when I was 15 yeah during this time so you've you've made numerous films with musicians and so I know that there's clearly an affection or an interest in in musicians but what's so interesting about the way that you approach it is that it's actually not through the angle of and I think this paying attention to those around the musician speaks to this, not looking to heroicize the experience. It's actually, you yeah. get us so close to them that we actually can relate to them in a way we maybe hadn't anticipated. No, I, I really like to watch musicians when they do what they think they're born to do, which is play music. I just like watch them. I mean, I, when I was little, I used to, I grew up in Chicago and, uh, the 78 record had just come out. So suddenly, a, an area of music that had been totally closed to everyone, basically, because kids, nobody could go into a bar and listen to music, and that's the only place they got played. Suddenly, you could take a record home, and you could hear Fats Waller. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to play a piano like Fats Waller more than you can ever know. That was, I, that was my dream of being able to, and when I told my piano play, teacher that, he laughed and said, no way. Am I going to be able to tell you how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, then you didn't want to do it at all. Because well, you I, like I, I wanted to be a piano player. That's yeah. what my ambition. But I, I, I could tell that I wasn't as good as uh, Jeff Stacy or Daff Atzweiler or uh, people that I knew. I even had a good friend who was a, who was a piano player, Joe Bushkin. Mm -hmm. And uh, at, at, at 15 he could really play with a band. He could play with Benny Goodman's band. Mm. And that just made me so jealous that he could do that and I could never do that. And I just, I just, yeah. so I always, uh, I dreamt in a way of, 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 of what big bands could do mm. and how you could be there and watch them. Mm -hmm. So instead you just became the best at something else other than music. Yeah, well, you know, it's, you, you find out what you're gonna do usually when you least expect it. <laughs> it's usually a surprise, and then you make the best of it. Yeah. And so 
can you talk a little bit about the two of you working together mm-hmm. on this one? Because some of your more celebrated music documentaries were before you were working with Chris. Well, we've been working together for about 40 for years. For 40 years, yeah. I know. Much, much longer than before timers. you were working solo. Yeah. But this is such a huge, I think, uh, I think an incredible moment in the career yeah, that no, working together is in some ways, I think this is my your most impressive music documentary. And so that would imagine has something to do with the fact that you were a, a team at this point. It's just that, you know, when you don't, it's really impossible to plan this kind of movie, a, 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 a so-called documentary, because in a way you said, well, I'm going to make a, a movie about a wolf, a documentary, and I'll just go around with the wolf and watch him, you know, <laughs> and you, you, it, it doesn't, you find out that doesn't work. So you, you, you kind of live with the expectancy of good luck constantly haunting you and of people doing something extraordinary in front of you, you know, when you're filming and when the camera's turned on. So it, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of religious in a way. You just, you live in a constant dream of something that's all invented in your head, you know, that it's a, it's a, it's hard to explain to people who don't do it or don't want to do it. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it if you explained it to me if I was, had gone on and become a piano player. I would have avoided it. But once you get into it, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's so, the payoff is so fantastic that it's like drugs. You can't stop. I mean, I think, I mean, films are always kind of a process. And, you know, this would not have been exactly the film that I would have made from this experience. I mean, basically, uh, Warner's was just interested in a music film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always been more interested in a film like Don't Look Back that you really expose the people behind the passion Mm -hmm. in a certain way. And, you know, so that was interesting for us to do. But in the end, we had to put a certain quotient of music in it. So it ended up being a two-hour movie. I don't know (laughs) if I, you know, if I had my druthers, I don't think I would have made it exactly like that. But um, Like the music portion would have been a little bit shorter. It probably would have been shorter. But, you know, it's good for fans of Depeche Mode. (laughs) Um, Well, I I kept thinking of people, uh, you know, 50 years from when we did it, of wanting to know, well, what the hell, what kind of music does they play? Right. And I really wanted us to to get the music right and to have it. I didn't want to short circuit the music just just to make a a, a funny film about whatever the events were. Right. So I I kind of liked it, but I know there were people who said, "Well, you can cut out some of the music." And that's I thought. Well, that was me. I know <laughs> that was our partnership. I know. And I thought, well, sooner or later she'll she'll get hooked. It, 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 we just hang on. I love the idea of you, you mentioned before about the being a sort of religion and the idea of, which, which to me implies the sense of there's faith that something worthwhile is going to happen. There's a faith that your attention is, 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 is just, that you're going to actually capture something. And is yeah. that actually, that, that makes sense in terms of yeah. shooting as much as you're shooting, that something is valuable. We did shoot a lot this. too. It was, it was because we had Joel and Jeff shooting. We shot more than, and we would be on most films, I think, didn't we? What was our final? I never figured you know, this out, I, but I some mean, people I, do. I mean, you shoot a lot when you shoot concerts that have, yeah. you know, six cameras. It ends it's up a being a lot. And we actually shot a safety um, concert in Philadelphia as well. Uh-huh. And um, 
beforehand in case it rained. And it did start raining <laughs> the second song in, Depeche, in the Rose Bowl, uh -huh. but it just kind of was a nice sprinkle that went by and made the stage slippery for yeah. David Kahn and Penny, but, um, you know, it didn't rain. Um, and you didn't wind up using the footage from... You know, there's probably some, you know, shots of Alan playing that sprinkled in. And the yeah. nice thing about them playing to a tape is that it's exactly <laughs> the same. It never varies, that's so, right. So, uh, not and David to, like, unmask any mystery of filmmaking there, but... Um, Although it was funny, when we got to, uh, down to Tennessee, to the music place, for some reason, it, normally all things you plug in the wall all have 60 cycles. Mm. And so... You can count on that if you need a, a, a way of counting that. It's always the same. But there it wasn't. For some reason, there was a, a slight change in the, I don't know why or how or whether it still prevails or not, but it really threw us off because nothing matched with everything else we'd shot. Mm. We couldn't interchange. The, the music sounded great, but it was like a 59-second a, a uh, signal was driving it. Oh, wow. Well, I think that's all we have time for. Unfortunately, we could talk all day, and I'm sure we all could listen to them talk forever. But thank you so much, D.A. Thank D. you and all Chris. for coming. <laughs>